since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Ephesus, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and it was told you of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well, a couple of things as we begin. Uh, we are starting a series on the book of Colossians that will take us through um, Easter. And so uh, as we get there, but it is just sort of like um, an appetizer and a mousse bouche, if you want, uh, which is a fancy word. You can look that up. It's for this taste of what is to come. Uh, it's food. It's food. I'm, I've got a food issue. Uh, so because Stephen Rarig is going to be doing on Sunday morning a class at 9 o'clock on Ephesians and Colossians. And so we're going to take not a bird's eye view of Colossians. We're going to be a little bit lower than a bird's eye view of Colossians. But then if you want to go a little bit deeper, then that's a class that you might want to go to as well. That's at 9 o'clock on Sundays, and so that's coming up. One other thing that you need to know is that um, Colossians 13 does not exist. So we had multiple people look at this uh, worship booklet, but apparently we didn't look at the, the text uh, of this particular place. It's Colossians 1. So it's, there's only four chapters in the book of Colossians. So if you're hearing for the first time that we're doing a series over Colossians, and this is chapter 13, and you're thinking to yourself, how many are there? How long is this series going to be? Just real quickly, this is one, there's two, three, and four. There's only that. And then the last thing that I want to tell you is my daughter today, as we were driving here, looked at me and said, now, are you going to have to wear a mask when you're up on stage preaching? And I said, no, I, I don't have to wear a mask. And she said, I thought you probably would. And I said, oh, really? How come? And she said, well, because you spit so much. Uh, so let me just apologize to those who sit in maybe the first three rows. Uh, I didn't realize I uh, did that as much as uh, she said. So uh, we might need to start providing shields or something up uh, for folks for that. Let me take just a moment and pray as we begin. Uh, Father, God, one who is holy and mighty, let these words be your words today. And if they're not, let them go away. But if they are, let them take root in our hearts and bear good fruit and bring glory to you so that we may enjoy you forever. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. I think over the last couple of years, prayer has started to get a bad rap. And quite, and there might be good reason for that. 
I think it started getting a bad rap because people started taking that phrase, prayers and thoughts, and putting them towards tragic events or things that had happened in someone's life. And because it was said so often, but there was an action that maybe followed that statement that people deemed necessary action, then people begin to judge the fact that prayers and thoughts were actually ineffective, that they didn't have any power and there was nothing that could happen if people just prayed and thought. And so in the end, prayers and thoughts became platitudinal. It became a platitude. So if somebody's hurting, you say, well, I'll pray for you. Or, or if somebody, a tragedy happens, we say, well, prayers and thoughts go to you. I think that's sort of a misunderstanding because we know that when we pray, it does something to us. It, it not only is calling out to somebody, but it changes something in us. And as we come to this beginning of this letter that's written to the church in Colossae, Paul says that he prays a lot. That there's something that he's doing in that prayer and that it's important for us. So as we come to this letter ourselves, recognizing that it's written at a time and space for a particular group of people, and not just that group of people, later on we see that he says, go give this letter to the folks in Laodicea and take their letter that I wrote to them and bring it to you. But it also has relevance for us today because there are definitely places where we feel we need to cry out to something, at least. So as we dig deep into this opening passage, this place of thanksgiving and prayer, as the subtitle would say in most Bibles, we need to recognize that Paul is praying to someone. That's the first thing we need to recognize, that prayers are effective because it's praying to someone. It's not just a shout in the dark, it's not just a call into the abyss, but it's actually moving towards and speaking our heart's desires towards someone. So who is that someone? Well, here very easily, he spells it out over and over again. He says, it is God, the one who calls Paul to be an apostle through Christ Jesus. So it's a God that calls people, that speaks into their lives, that changes who they are and transforms them, that brings them into the place. It's a God who provides grace and peace. We see that next, that grace and peace to you from who? God our Father. That he's somebody that is meant to care. Now, I recognize that many of us have had fathers who do not operate in a way that is caring and loving, that is protective. But that's not this God. This God is one who knows what a father is supposed to be, that stands as a, a protector and also as an encourager, who is one who comforts and comes around, and one who brings what? Grace and peace, not anxiety and stress. So this God that Paul is calling out to is one who brings about Jesus. He is the one who brings about grace and peace. But not only that, he is the one who does all the work. And that's hard for us to grasp in ourselves because we like to be those who get credit for the work that we do. If you'll notice here as we step down into verses 9 and beyond, it says this, as he says, I continually ask who? God. What is God going to do to fill, fill you up? That God's the one who gives the knowledge of his will. That God is the one who has the fruit being bared in good works because it's from his knowledge. That it is God who what? Qualifies you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. 
That it is God who has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And he has brought us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves so that we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. So there's this place for us that as we step in and we see when I'm praying this idea of prayers and thoughts, it's about who I am speaking those prayers to. That there is this God who is mighty, who is holy, who is truth. But more than that, he is a provider of knowledge and wisdom. He is the one who causes good fruit to be bared in our lives. He is the one who rescues us, who pursues us in his steadfast love. That this God is the one who holds all things together. And that's really what this book ends up being about. This letter that he's writing to this church and to us today is to say to us that God is all that you need, that it is all sufficient in God through Christ. So we see that we should call out to someone. And I would challenge us to know that that someone is a mighty, holy, steadfast, loving So not only is he calling out to someone, he's calling out for someone. He's speaking about others. So who is Paul praying about here? Who is he asking God to do something in? Well, he says right here that it's a holy people, that they are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I think that there are times when we call out to God for all sorts of things. There are times that we call out to God for people who are far off and people who are near. There are times that we call out for our families and there are times that we call out for our enemies to God. But in this particular case, he's speaking of those who are in Christ. That there's a challenge here for us if we stop and, and see it that God calls us, those of us who are in Christ, to be praying for others who are in Christ. Christ. That we should be crying out to this holy, mighty, steadfast, loving, ever-pursuing God for those who are also in Christ. He says they are faithful brothers and sisters, holy people. Not only that, he tells us that we are now rescued. The ones that are rescued, that's who he's calling out for. He's saying, I want you to work in the lives of those who have been rescued, that you have moved from the dominion of darkness to the dominion of the kingdom of your son whom you love. He sees that Epaphras has walked with them and changed their lives. And we actually see later in this letter, in chapter 3, who they used to be and who they are becoming. He says this, and we'll get to this in a few weeks. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on those things that are above, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. But put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil, desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On of that, these accounts, God has, wrath is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. 
Who is Paul crying out for? Paul is crying out for those who are being transformed, those who are being changed, those who are caught by the steadfast love of God and are being moved closer and closer to the image of Christ. And so he calls out for someone. That's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us in how we walk. That when we're calling out to this mighty, steadfast, loving God who is ever pursuing us to bring us into whole relationship, that we don't just cry out for ourselves and our own needs, but we look at those who we are walking with that God has joined us with, those of us who are in the body together, and we pray that God works and moves and seeks and pursues their lives as well. They are called faithful not because of their own faithfulness, but because of God's faithful pursuit of them. So we see then that we call out to this mighty God, we call out for those who are in Christ, and then what do we request? What are we asking for God to do? Well, let's just go to verse 9. It says, for this reason, since the day we heard of you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So the first thing that we should be praying for one another is that we will be grasped and continually filled up with the knowledge of what God's desire is for our life through all wisdom and understanding. So understanding is gaining that um, knowledge. It's having it be applied to ourselves. And wisdom is letting it move out of us and how we operate our daily life. This is not just about some theological ascent, not just some knowledge that we're trying to gain that puffs us up and makes us like, I know God better than you. That's not at all what it is about. It's about being filled up by God with who he is, what his desire is, what his mission is, what his goal is. And then in that, we begin to gain wisdom and understanding. So it uh, starts to transform our own hearts and our own lives. That we begin to see those places where our true no longer lines up with the truth of who God is. And we say we've got to bring our true to God so that he can do with, with it what he wants whether it be transforming it and making it truth, whether it be by burning it up so that it no longer exists in our lives. But in doing that, then it begins to transform us. And now we move to interacting in the world around us. And we bring that truth to bear in those places. That's wisdom and understanding. We understand and then we move into wisdom. And where does that come from? But God, that the Spirit gives us. But why do we have that? He says, so what? That they may live lives worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. There's this idea that by walking in knowing more about who God is, and in knowing about who God is, we look to Christ. And in seeing Christ, we see His ever steadfast, loving pursuit of us. And that transforms us and changes to be those who are not against, but those who are for. Those who hold People with compassion and love and mercy. Those who are willing to challenge each other 
to bring them closer to the truth of what God is calling us to do. But not challenge them from a place of superiority, but challenge them from a place of compassion and kindness. As we're reminded, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so we move to that place of having then our lives be worthy of the Lord. And how does that show itself? He says, I pray that they're bearing fruit in every good work. That all that we do is about bringing glory to God. That what we're working on is the work that God has laid out before the foundations of the world. He also prays that they will be strengthened with all power accordance to His glorious might. Why? So that we can have endurance and patience. Last week we talked about grieving with hope. Uh, Just earlier in this passage, it's so interesting. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love that you have for all of God's people, this faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel. If you've had any chance to cursorily read the New Testament, especially Paul's letter, you've noticed this trinity, this trivium of faith, hope, and love. He says it in a lot of his books. And here he says this, that that faith and that that love that they're expressing springs from the hope that they have. The hope that God is working now and will continue to work until he makes all things new as they always were supposed to be. That there's a place that we're aimed for that doesn't cause us to discount what's going on now, but it moves us, propels us forward because we know that God will do good and that all He does is good. And even in our unbelief, we can have faith and love that walk along with that hope. And so when He says that they will have great endurance and patience, it reminds us that Those of us who are in Christ and following God are not Pollyannas or pie in the sky. We are not those that think everything's rosy and coming up beautifully. We are those who look at the world and recognize that it is broken. That bad things happen. That there is a time to grieve. And that there is a time to challenge for justice. That there's a place for us to work with others in order to bring about the grace and the peace that the Father gives, this shalom, this idea of completeness, that we work together for that. But in order to do that, we will need endurance and patience. And so he prays for that. That they will be filled up with that endurance and patience. Not only that, he prays that they will be giving joyful thanks. That they will move not just from this uh, uh, drudgery of trying to make it through as good Christian boys and girls, but that we will be joyful in the expectation of what God is doing now and will continue to do. And in all of this, he's recognizing over and over again, it's the one that I'm crying out to for the people that I'm crying out for that empowers them to receive these very things. 
So as hard as we work towards those things, and I'm not saying we shouldn't work towards those things, we wouldn't be having Bible studies that we have if I didn't think we should be working towards these things to gain the knowledge, the understanding, and the wisdom. But we recognize in that is that's just us walking along with what God is already doing. Because He's the one who is making this happen. The one who is calling it forth in our lives. And He does it because He's already rescued us. And He's moved us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That it's in that place that the gospel begins to bear fruit. And so we call out to this God for people who are around us who are in Christ that God will make himself known, that they will have endurance, that they will have patience, that they will have joy, that they will do the things that God has set before them to do. And in doing that, our faith and our love and our hope springs forth proclaiming the true message of the gospel. And in verse 6 it says this, that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has done among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. That if we move to be people of prayer like Paul is here, then in doing that, as we walk in that faith and that love and that hope, that we will begin to see the gospel bearing fruit. Nay, I would say we already see the gospel bearing fruit. But not only that, it opens our eyes so widely that we see the gospel bearing fruit throughout the whole world. And we begin to recognize that Fremantle Church is not just Fremantle Church, but it's part of a global church, this network beyond networks that is full of mercy and grace and truth and compassion and love that exemplifies the steadfast love of God and His endless pursuit, His steadfast pursuit to bring all into relationship with Himself. That in that then we see that throughout the world the gospel is bearing fruit. It really should be a stark reminder to us that the things that we like to do and the things that we call church don't necessarily match up all around the world. <laughs> that actually the type of church that we like to do seems to be decreasing all around the world. And the church that is flourishing and growing is found in Parts of the world that we would consider developing. Majority world. But far different than you. And so in that, we should glory, just as Paul does here. Because he's saying it's not only happening for you, and he says that to us, it's happening for you, but it is happening all around the world. And we gain, what, endurance and patience in that. Because we can sometimes feel like we're just constantly under attack. And that might be true. It might not but what we do know is that God's work does not cease. That God's work continues to propel. So in the macro we see that, but how does that affect us in the micro, in our own personal lives? It's a good reminder for us, because as I look out here, I know many of you are going through trials and tribulations. That many of you are struggling with whether this faith actually is real and palpable. That this thing that I'm walking in that for some reason I've been caught up in, whether it be just in the last six months or whether it's been my whole entire life, that I'm just sort of struggling with whether or not I can keep going. And so I want you to hear 
this. That we are seeking God for you. So that you will have these things being brought forth in your life. So that you will have endurance and patience and faith and love and hope. And if you're listening and you are online or you're here or you're over there or you're under the bridge or downtown or wherever. And you're wondering to yourself, what is this all about? Let this capture you. That this mighty, holy, righteous, truth, steadfast, loving God pursues you in a way that he will transfer you from a dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And when you move into that, you are not alone. That there are others who have had the same thing happen to them, who now walk with you, beside you. There was a time in my life where people had to have more faith than me for God so that I could have that faith. They needed to have more love for me for God so that I could have that love. I've written to several people, and you might be one of them, that when you're struggling with your faith, know that I have faith enough for both of us. See, that's the way God works, because when he calls us to that, he draws us together in this community. And so as he's writing to this church, as he's writing this letter, Paul wants to remind them of the sufficiency of God in Christ, and that that sufficiency comes through us being together as one. That's important for us as we continue to walk. Let me pray again. Father God, let us hear your words and let them take root in our lives so that we will bear that good fruit. Let us resound with faith and love and hope and let us not cease to pray for those that you have joined us with. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Respond by singing.